Today's episode of Wine Time Fridays is brought to you in part by our friends at Revora and Coeur Fresh. Experience the warmth of winter at Coeur Fresh, your exclusive private venue wine bar. Reach out to Marla at 208-676-8933 via call or text. Here's to toasting unforgettable moments at Fresh. There's a new winery making a splash in Idaho, Revora. Producing some of the best estate wines Idaho has to offer, Revora, spelled R-I-V-A-U-R-A, now has a tasting room in Coeur d'Alene to go with their Julieta tasting room. Visit Revora.com for more information. Okay. Did you take a look at the Wine Word of the Week? Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'm familiar. Okay. So the Wine Word of the Week is yes. coupe glasses. And generally, the coupe glasses are etched, right? Exactly. And then there's also the Marie Antoinette style. glasses style. It's a little bit. So I brought these glasses specifically for today. So I went back <laughs> and I looked and I looked and I found a glass from 1916. Wow. And the only reason I know is because it's been sitting in our china cabinet because it's my great-grandparents from their wedding. It's been a long week, right? Are you ready to wind down? Why not? It's time for the Wine Time Fridays podcast with Shelly and Phil. Neither are sommeliers, but both have a deep passion for life, each other, and of course, delicious wine. And now, here to talk about this week over a glass of wine is Shelly and Phil. It's wine time. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wine Time Fridays with Shelly and Phil on this Friday, January 26th, episode 197. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. The drama. It's wine time. Uh, this may surprise you, but we have another guest this week. Three weeks in 2024 and three guests. A fourth. This is our fourth guest because I forget the date sometimes. We have with us Andrew Giroux with Tiridis. Is it Tiridis Winery, Tiridis Wines, Tiridis Just Tiridis. Sparkling Tiridis. Just Tiridis, but if you want to call us Tiridis Sparkling Wines, that's A-OK. A-OK. Uh, we have three wines that we're going to be tasting through today, I believe. Is that correct? No, we are tasting through all of them. Okay. <laughs> all of them. I, I'm just really confused. We have a plethora of wines. Two, four, six, eight. Remember last week uh, with John and Edward, Fast Eddie Holmes, uh, we had eight that we tried as well. So we will be taking an Uber into Coeur d'Alene. To, no, just joking. <laughs> uh, what I'd like to do is as you open that first one that we're going to try, uh, explain to It's probably asking him to do a lot. There's a, so much to go over, like how you came up with your name for one thing. I know how it is, but it's so, it, I love it. Mm-hmm. So you want to explain that? But we have a yeah. lot of wines to taste through, so that's why I oh, want Absolutely. I'd, yeah. I'd love to just start off so yeah. everybody knows the context of Tiridus. I mean, it's a little bit complicated, but <laughs> there's a rhyme and reason for it. There is. Um, the name Tiridus comes from Tirage, Riddle, and Disgorge. It's the three steps for the traditional method sparkling process. Yeah. We ended up going up with Tiridus because, you know, every name you ever think of in the wine industry, it's already taken. So when you Most find something, right. you got to run with it. Sure. And I 
ended up starting Tiridus with two of my best friends. So there's three of us. We're not going to fight over whose name goes on the label. And, um, none of us have good winemaker names. So, um, <laughs> But also, we wanted to really showcase our passion and devotion to sparkling wines. And all we do is traditional method, sparkling wines in Washington State, or method champenois, whatever terms you use. Sure. Um, and so we wanted to showcase it. And when you're doing sparkling, it's one of the most technical and complicated types of wines to make in the world. So really just showcase that's what we're doing. Um, so I love it. Tiridus coming from Taraj, Riddle, and Disgorge, the three steps to showcase our devotion to sparkling in Washington State. And not not creating champagne-style wines in Washington State. Because we live in Washington exactly, State. Exactly, because yeah. we live in Washington State. But creating sparkling wines that are very representative of Washington. So, you know, it. might make a French person roll in their grave, but, you know, that doesn't matter to us. What they're, we're trying to do is... Let's be honest, they're already dead. Oh. So if they're going to roll in their grave, you know, I'm sorry. Exactly. You're no longer a part of our life. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Well, I mean, historically, maybe, but you have no say. Go ahead and roll. Go yeah. Ahead. The shell is rolling her eyes <laughs> as they're rolling in their graves. Um, I love the name. Uh, let's open that That's first one. Idea. Yep. Um, so yeah. the the first one that we'll be trying, so the first three actually are going to be three different stages of the sparkling process. So the first wine that we'll be trying is a base wine. So this is a still wine and the precursor to a sparkling. Beautiful. The second wine that we'll be trying is a wine and tirage, which is the first step of the sparkling process. And then the third wine is going to be that finished wine. So after okay. the tirage, the riddle and disgorge. And then after that, we'll just taste through a lineup of our wines that Beautiful. really represents Washington. And I, lo I love this. I have never, never done this before yeah. like this. Yeah. This is fantastic. So will we pour the, the three in the glasses yep. at the same time and yep. taste? Beautiful. Absolutely. So I'll grab those three first. So, and then, so I, I, I know I explained tirage, riddle and disgorge yeah. comes from the three step process, but you know, that's three steps. What does it mean? I'll pass oh, this you, to you, you first. Um, so the three-step process, starting with tirage. The tirage step is when you take a base wine that Phil is pouring. It's uh, similar to any still wine to keep it simple. Um, but what you do to that is you add yeast and sugar, and then you put it into the bottle. In the bottle, that yeast eats the sugar and produces CO2 and a little bit more alcohol. Mm -hmm. So effectively, you have a sparkling wine at that point. But, you know, there's all this yeast and sediment in it. And that does two, two things, really, to the, the sparkling wine. It acts as a sponge and absorbs a lot of those aromatic and flavor compounds. So it mutes the wine. But it also acts like little mini Mentos that you put into Coke. So oh. it fizzes out and okay. you lose the carbonation. And, you know, unfortunately, sparkling wine without carbonation is not, still not a sparkling still, wine. Still wine. Um, so it's really important to get that out of there. And that's where the riddling and disgorging comes yeah. into play. The riddling is pretty much the settling process where you settle all the, that yeast and sediment into the neck of the bottle and it condenses in a little puck. Yeah. And then once it's all condensed into a little puck in the neck of the bottle, you disgorge it. And the disgorging step is you freeze the neck of that bottle and then you open it up and it shoots out that frozen plug of yeast yeah, and you're left with a crisp, clean, sparkling wine. Do you, have, you do any replacing at all of that a plug? Uh, no, not of the plug itself, but you do lose a little bit of wine sure. in that process. That so you, you top it up and you can do what's called a dosage, which is a little gotcha. added sweetness back yeah. to it if that fits your wine style. Yeah. Um, 
If not, you just throw a cork in it, keep Perfect. it fruit zero, and yeah, you're golden. And this is a wine entourage. So this is a little important thing right here. Love it. All the yeast and sediment is on the bottom right there. So if you want to take that, it's a... I don't think we can. Yeah, I don't. Um, so, uh, trust quick us, question. it's hazy. <laughs> no, this still wine, do you actually um, sell that as a still wine? Nope. Okay. Nope. Got it. So, when you do this secondary fermentation in bottle, it's very important that the environment you're putting into the bottle is great for yeast. Okay. Because, you know, the yeast is what's going to bring it through that secondary fermentation and give it that carbonation. So if the yeast isn't happy, it's going to give off flavors or it's not going to produce the carbonation that you want. So it's really important that that base wine is a good environment for the yeast. And yeast doesn't like alcohol. Alcohol kills yeast. Um, so it's really important that that yeast or that base wine is lower alcohol. And to do that, you, you need to get into a cooler climate that slows the ripening, or you harvest a little bit earlier, or you crop a little bit higher to slow the, the progression and the aging or maturity of the grapes. Um, so the base wine, it's going to be much higher acid, lower alcohol. And it's going to be very, it's not going to be very aromatic at all. But it does have a little bit of a yeah, nose. But it does have a little, a little bit of a bit nose. Of yeah. And the, the base wine, the reason that it's not very aromatic is because all those volatile compounds that give it the aroma are still in, in the wine attached to sugars. So when it goes through that secondary fermentation, the yeast eats those sugars and releases those volatiles. So it's expressive as a sparkling wine, not as a base wine. If it's expressive as a base wine, this you already lost all those compounds. So it's not going to be aromatic as a finished wine. So it's just, you know, one of those complicated things that sparkling wine needs. So that's number two. This is the, okay, I, I'm not even going to, Try to replicate what you said. Uh, before we toast this, I have to ask a couple quick questions. One, how long has Tiridus been making wine? How long have you guys been doing this? Um, so we started our first official vintage in 2020. Um, nice the, year to do that. Yeah, nice year to do it. Yeah, it just nice kind of goes to our, our... Couldn't sell it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> but sparkling wine is a labor of love and requires sure. a lot of time. Yeah. So it is the perfect time. And in 2020, when we started it, we actually were still going to school. So mm-hmm. we, we we knew we were graduating in late 2020 in December or spring of right. 2021. Um, but the big global pandemic came around. You may have heard yeah. of it. I, I um, may have affected your life a little bit. But... Um, it affected ours and we we're sitting around. I was sitting with two of my best friends and we we're doing what we normally did in college. Uh, we worked a lot, but we would always be sure to celebrate um, with fried chicken and champagne. So we had a couple bottles of champagne and a little bit of fried chicken and joked around a little too much. And we decided the best thing for us would be to start a sparkling winery. And there have, um, probably it was a napkin and a pen and you had your business model laid out all, oh, all down there exactly with, with grease all over. Yep, right. Exactly. Well, so this is a little bit of a predicament because I feel like we need to toast with that one, but this we one? do need, to, yes. Look at the, I mean, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful sparkler. 
I, well, I let's, mean, let's toast with it so you okay. see what sparkling yeah. is. So to health, wealth, and abundance, and gratitude, and romance, and peace on earth. That's right. Exactly. Hashtag. Cheers. Cheers. We have a hashtag yum that we put on every single post. So you just got to say yum. Yum. Okay. We will put that on. Man, that explodes in my mouth. Is it yum with? With difference in the clarity. Yeah, exactly. So this uh, second one is not filtered at all yet, or it has not been riddled or disgorged. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, none of that is bad for you by any stretch. Uh, yum with one M or two M's? Three M's. Because okay. there are three of you. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> Everything goes in threes. For yeah, us. I like that. So uh, uh, you can't own a hashtag, but you can certainly use the, use the crap out of it to oh, where yeah. it, if if anyone else uses it, they're just directing them to you. Exactly. Pretty much. So, uh, you know, that's our free social media advice to you today. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> because that's what we do for a living. Um, let's right. go ahead and taste through these. This is fantastic. I am so stoked. Yeah. All right. Tell us on so, this still wine. Like I mentioned, the base wine. Yeah. It's going to be much higher acid, very low alcohol um, compared to any other still wine that you have. So, Think about it, you know, it tastes good for a glass, but it's going to rip your tonsils out, burn your enamel off and give you heartburn that night. That's for sure. Um, But that's very important for sparkling wine because that low alcohol makes a conducive environment for the yeast and the high acid stands up to the carbonation in the finished product. So it's a very balanced product. So that's very important. And it's going to be muted because like I was saying earlier, it's important to keep those compounds very tight in the solution. So they're expressed in the sparkling wine, not in the base wine. Um, So when you try it, you're pretty much going to think about biting a lemon and licking some dirt. That's pretty much the characteristics that you get out of this. Boy, I'm getting a lemon. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm getting that. That's Um, So do you use, you probably don't, do you use the same grape varietal? So we use a bunch of different grapes. Going back to what I was saying of Tiridus, we're not trying to make champagne-style sparkling in Washington. We don't want to pigeonhole ourselves to those old-world ideas. You don't have to. We don't have to. We're we're young. We're stupid. We we take the hardest route possible. <laughs> so we 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 foresee this potential of creating a typical sparkling wine yeah. for Washington. We, you know, Washington is a much warmer than Champagne. That being said, Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier they do have their very niche regions in Washington, but as a whole, they don't really grow that great. Chardonnay, on the other hand, it grows great in Washington. Yeah. So. These three are actually all Chardonnay. 100% Chardonnay. 100% Chardonnay. Beautiful. Um, but these other wines that you'll be trying, you'll be trying very specific to it. Washington. So these three, this is a perfect reflection of this process. Yep. Because it is, well, I'd say apples to apples, but it's grape to grape. <laughs> yep. Really, uh, along the process. Okay, Shelly, did you have this? Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. interesting. I, and the lemon, for mm-hmm. sure. Okay. And uh, when, we were, when we were first starting... We were getting real gung-ho and ambitious and stoked. And after our first vintage, we would take this base wine, add some Sprite or 7-Up to it, have it as a little spritzer, you know, oh, it, wow. it gets the job done. We That's would never sure. say this publicly, uh, but there are times in the summer when we're trying to cut back on our sugars with wines that some of us at this table might uh, put a little LaCroix in with a Chardonnay. <laughs> I'm not going to mention any names. Exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, what do you think about a base wine? Have you ever had a base wine before? Nope. I don't not, I not as have. a base. Um, people will always say, Oh man, it must be so fun. You get to just taste wines and like blend wines with your best friends. And it's like, yeah, being with my best friends is one of the coolest things while running a business. But at the same time, tasting base wine is probably the least fun type <laughs> of wine that you can be tasting. Give yourself a couple hours of tasting it. You can't feel your tongue. Yeah. Your enamel is burnt off. You know, you it's it's <laughs> it's using, pretty intense. Using the verbiage from Gary Vaynerchuk, it, it rips just rips your tongue yep. up, right? Yep. Um, you're right. I think on one glass, right? No problem. What were you gonna say? Do you bottle your base wines so that you can show your tasting people who come in, or nope. do you we, bottle them and then rebottle them later? No, nope. we we just bottled this because you're coming up. Oh, wow. Yep. So generally we don't show this. Well, sometimes Prosser, a little mm -hmm. plug to Prosser, Washington. Um, we have like these barrel events. So spring barrel is a fun event that we have in Prosser. And um, a lot of sparkling wine is not made in barrel. You know, like red yeah. wine is sure. predominantly the wine that you taste out of the barrel. But sparkling, on the it's other hand, the you bottle. don't really <laughs> see it. Yeah, it's uh, made in the bottle. But we will show our base wines and spring barrel just because one of the most important things for us is educating the consumer, increasing the transparency between yeah, producer and that's consumer. That's what we want to do also. Yeah, yep. exactly. Good and you. if you're, if you know, there's no problem with six to $8 bottles of wine, you know, it's, it increases accessibility, but if you're spending more than that, you know, you should really know what goes into the product and hence the name Tiridus and yeah. the experience that you get when you come into our tasting room. It's very educational. With Tiridus, you are learning about sparkling wine. Just by saying it. Just by saying it, <laughs> yeah. which is fantastic. Exactly. Uh, Andrew has been nice enough to bring some potato chips, which, as you know, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, when we had Sam Lang on with Mark and Sarah Lathrop. I have to say it from Liberty Lake Wine Cellars. Mm -hmm. Give them a shout out. Uh, and Sam had, is from Lola. And Sam's from Lola, also from Beverly's, back in the day. But uh, we had French fries. Well, this is uh, kind of like a French fry. It's a potato chip, you know? Exactly. And so that's going to pair well with this as well. Uh, this is a little crunchier than a French fry, so. Exactly. But it has the it has the fat. It has the salt. And that's what salt. really goes well with a high-acid sparkling wine, you know? Shows Very you crisp. And it, going back to, as I mentioned, we joked a little too much while eating fried chicken mm -hmm. and drinking champagne. Um, it's that not only is it that like a chemical combination of that fat and salt combined with that high acid and alcohol of the sparkling wine, mm -hmm. but it's also that juxtaposition of classy and trashy, you know, you know, it's the, but you're you know, so you right about that luxury. Nobody would ever say, what are you talking about? Champagne and French fries. We had a, um, it was a, a, a Dutz, Dutz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, as our champagne, we had a couple other French sparklers that were just outside of champagne with the French fries. Mm -hmm. But in essence, you're right. Who would have a, a champagne with a potato chip or fried chicken mm -hmm. or French fries? Exactly. And, you but know, if, if the perfect kind, give us 20 years, hopefully in our tasting room as we expand yeah. and mature and really grow, um, maybe we'll have fried chicken in our tasting room. But unfortunately, it's kind of expensive and kind of a nightmare to get that licensing. So oh, yeah. we're okay with serving potato chips. It gets the message across and we can tell the story at the same time. Sure. This is this is really interesting. Such a treat. It gets sort of like pink. In the second one? <laughs> yeah. So so the second one, the bottle and tourage, I mean, obviously, just by looking at it, it's hazy, right? Yeah. 
And as I mentioned, that that clouds the aromatics and it will make the carbonation go very quickly. Um, and especially if you're, if, since your glass is empty, if you want to give that a little swirl and really, really bring up. Oh, the, it is? Yep. And then it will really bring the sediment into the solution. Oh, and then pour and then it? Okay. You pour it. So now it's particularly hazy now. Yeah, it almost looks like a hefeweizen, a yep. very light hefeweizen. You're waiting for the bubbles to go away, but they they may. It's it's not going to go away yeah, because the, that that all those little yeast cells they amazing. act as little mini Mentos that the CO2 yeah. um, nucleates out on, and so it will go flat quickly. But it's really important because those yeast cells they preserve the wine. Um, so it acts as a, you know, it does a lot of great things. So it preserves the wine in the bottle, but it also acts as a good flavor integration because that brioche character that everybody knows and loves about traditional method sparkling wine, that a majority of that comes from the wine picking apart those dead yeast cells in the bottle. So after it finishes that fermentation, which only takes about two weeks to two months, depending on the temperature, after that, the yeast cells die, and then the wine just picks apart those yeast cells and integrates all that flavor. And then, you know, depending on how long you leave it on those dead yeast cells, it will either be more fruit forward for less amount of time or much more savory and uh, baked good-esque if you leave it on for much baked longer. Baked good-esque. I like it. So do you experiment with how long you leave it? On? Yes, yes. We, we very – well, you know, I say yes, but – we started in the 2020. So we kind of have a limited time frame yeah. for the amount that we can experiment. Sure. But we do have wines in bottle. Like last year, we bottled our first project that we really anticipate to keep in bottle for about five years. Oh, good. Um, so, but sparkling wine, it just takes time. It's a very architectural form of winemaking. You know, uh, champagne, <clears throat> most of the champagnes that come out are non vintage. Mm -hmm. There are the vintage ones are the, the, the best of the best. Vintages. Uh, are you going to be non-vintage on this, or will you be vintage? So this is a fun little topic of conversation. <laughs> Should that adding, be our adding, <laughs> adding to the complications of this conversation between non-vintage and vintage, there's also this term in sparkling wine called multi-vintage. And so to keep things as simple as possible, Non-vintage and multi-vintage wines are blends of wines from multiple vintages. Yes. But non-vintage blending is done to achieve a certain style and characteristic, where multi-vintage, you're blending those different vintages, but you're trying to showcase the true character of that time frame. Mm -hmm. So you are getting um, disparities and certain qualities that you wouldn't get in non-vintage. And then there's vintage, which is the purest expression of a certain time and place, right? Um, so we actually use all three, non-vintage, multi-vintage, and vintage in our program. Um, so yeah, just and that kind so of- it's so young, the program is so young. So. Yeah, and when the, we started- data points are not many. Yeah. To but draw from. every like we like to consider ourselves very proactive versus reactive mm -hmm. winemakers. Yeah, um, so you. everything that we're employing now, even though it might not look that way on paper, it's all done for the future. Because, right. you know, when we first started in 2020, we have to make a non-vintage wine that's vintage. But we labeled it non-vintage because... You know, we're it's like two years from now. We don't want to scare someone. Like, why is this? Why is this non-vintage now? Like, why is it? You know, so um, it's it's just being proactive, so we don't have to face those things. And 
one of the biggest goals for us is being a legacy producer. Like we're working hard just so like our kids, you know, have a, have the winery to How old are you again? really continue. Um, 24. 24. Married? Nope. Kids? No. Nope. And, and yet you have got this thought in your mind. I, this, this is really remarkable. Uh, so the second pour is the tier in tier is. Exactly. Uh, we're going to take a break because we need to empty glasses to get ready to move on to the other five. And when we come back, we're going to start actually talking a little bit about glasses and why we have a, a typical Chardonnay glass. Yes. It's a typical sparkling wine glass, actually. Nice. Oh. We're going to talk about that <laughs> when we come back. There's a new winery making a huge splash. Ravora. Ravora is an Idaho winery producing some of the best estate wines Idaho has to offer using fruit that is grown along the Clearwater River. Perched gently on a vineyard-covered hillside with breathtaking views of the Clearwater River Valley just 15 minutes east of Lewiston, the Ravora Tasting Room provides an idyllic setting for enjoying their wines while soaking in the surrounding natural beauty of the Lewis-Clark Valley AVA. And now you can savor Ravora wines in North Idaho, too. Ravora, spelled R-I-V-A-U-R-A, now has a tasting room in Coeur d'Alene with live music most every Friday night. And you're going to want to check out their event facilities, too. Whether it's weddings, birthdays, company retreats, or any other kind of party you can think of, Ravora is the place for you. There is the Ravora Clearwater Room, the Brewery Bowl Room, and the Event Barn in the Vineyard, among others. If you're looking for the best-kept secret for delicious wines and views, you owe it to yourself to check out Ravora. Visit Ravora.com for more information or simply call 208-276-3245 in Julieta or their new tasting room in Coeur d'Alene at 208-667-1019. Welcome back to Wine Time Fridays <laughs> with Shelly and Phil and Andrew Giroux from Tiridis. Here in Prosser, Washington, man, uh, that first segment was so cool. Uh, the second, so we, I'm not even going to, we're just going to line these up. It's, we're just going to start throwing bottles out. We're just going to start throwing bottles out. Um, when we went to break, I mentioned the glasses, okay? Um, the reason I mentioned the glasses are a couple of things. Um, back in the day, Andrew, I don't know if you know this, but back in the day, um, well, so the flutes, mm -hmm. a Champagne lot of people. glasses have gone through an evolution. Yes, they Absolutely. have. Okay. Yes. And I, I felt the need. Shelly, you have your notes in front of you this time. Can you talk about the CDA Gourmet Wine Ward of the Week? Because I need to get Andrew's opinion on this okay did you take a look at the wine word of the week oh absolutely okay <laughs> i'm familiar okay so the wine word of the week is yes. coupe glasses a coupe glass also known as a champagne coupe or a saucer glass is a stem glass with a wide shallow bowl and a flat base it's typically used for serving champagne and sparkling wines it was typically used <laughs> and generally the coupe glasses are etched right exactly and then there's also the Marie Antoinette style. style that's a little different. So I brought these glasses specifically mm -hmm. for today, knowing you were going to have a base wine for us to taste. Mm -hmm. 
and go out of your way for that. I wanted to go out. So I went back and I looked and I looked and I found a glass from 1916. Wow. And the only reason I know is because it's been sitting in our China cabinet because it's my great grandparents' wedding. Mm -hmm. um, uh, wow. From their wedding. Yes. If you can see that, there is etching. It is a big bowl. It's flat. And However, you lose all the bubbles very you, quickly. You would, especially, um, oh, this is yours. Uh, you would lose them very quick. I was hoping that um, I could pour a little in this for you and Shelly as well, just yeah. for you. Well, I guess Shelly and I would share. Just to get some contrast Yeah, would be kind of fun. But you said these are actually Riedel sparkling glasses. Mm -hmm. They are very similar to, although a little bit sharper taper, but, but to like a Chardonnay glass. Mm -hmm. No more flutes. Can we just stop at the flutes? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a lot of fun, but I wanted to bring something on, on episode one of Wine Time Fridays way back in 2020. Uh, we opened up with a barefoot bubbly and an actual champagne. And we had them in these glasses. Wow. This is the... That was the first and last time these glasses have been on this podcast. And now we're, we're breaking them out. You have to stop saying breaking them out. We're bringing them out <laughs> again. Not, bring them no, I don't want to break these glasses. These are, these are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to hand one to you and entrust Thank you. You, not, <laughs> you can bring it out too. Just don't break it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, maybe we can on that um, rosé yeah. sparkler um, contrast it in these glasses as yeah. well. Absolutely. Would that be good? <laughs> so tell us so a little bit about that. What is your opinion about the various glasses? You don't like Ooh. flutes. So and? I think it's, you know, the thing about wine is it's so subjective, right? Mm -hmm. So really it's just important to understand what's happening. Um, where, you know, coops, they're, they're great. They serve a certain purpose. Mm -hmm. Flutes. They're also great. They serve a certain purpose as well. But there's there's a reason why we do what we do by serving in this glass that people think is a white wine glass. Um, so I guess starting with the function of the coupe and the flute, right? Mm -hmm. So a coupe is... It's much harder to hold. Oh, much harder to hold, <laughs> yeah. a little bit off balance. Um, but a coupe, what it's supposed to do is give aromatics. So it has that very wide sure. surface area to interact with the air to give okay. some great aromatics, which is great. I love expression from a wine, sure. but the problem is this is for sparkling wine. And the coupe, it releases CO2 very quickly. So you're going to lose the carbonation of a sparkling much quicker from a coupe than a flute. So, you know, it has great expression, but you lose bubbles way quicker. But you That's can what stick your nose in this right. glass after you swirl, right. and yeah, you're going to get plenty. Right? Exactly. You know, you're not doing it with you're not swirling with that. But then on the other hand, so you have the coupe on the aromatic and losing bubbles quickly into the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, you have the flute. Whereas a flute, it really maintains bubbles very great. But there's no way you're sticking your nose in a flute. There's it just <laughs> you doesn't never work. Get it out. So yeah, you're never going to get it out. So with flutes, you have almost zero aromatic expression of the wine, but it really maintains its bubbles. So, you know, those are the two ends of the spectrum for those glasses where the glasses that we use lands kind of right in the middle. Yeah. They're, they're tapered and glass. very bulbous in a very particular way. Thank you to the Riddell family. Sure. You know, they do great work with wine 
and yeah. proper expression of uh, said wines. Um, but these, it maintains the bubbles and it also gives the opportunity for very good aromatic expression of the wine. Taste those between the two. I, I got a difference. Really? Yep. Uh, in our house, we use the Andrew Robinson, the one wine glasses, the one red and the one white. And we use the one whites for all of our sparklers as well. That is the way that I do it as well. 98% of the people drinking wine uh, couldn't distinguish between a Chardonnay in a um, normal everyday uh, wine glass you get from the dollar store, okay? Uh, you know, with no cut edge and no, uh, nothing good versus one that's in an actual Mm-hmm. Riedel Chardonnay glass. You right. would you wouldn't tell the difference, right? The vast majority. Okay, so she designed this glass that would be take all the reds and take all the whites, including sparklers, and they're mm-hmm. they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're very fun. We just need to keep two. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we have multiple sure. of both for when we have the guests. But yes, yeah. So, what is more, your first opinion on this? I, I, I think it's very fun. I. With sparkling, you know, the coupe, as I mentioned, it releases the carbonation quicker. So maybe it's more of a tale of time, right? Yeah. Right now, I would be confident in saying that you get a real great nose out of the coupe. Yeah. Um, but it is a tiny bit flatter, you know, mm-hmm. whereas the wine and the the glass, I'm also getting different characteristics mm-hmm. out of the two of them. Okay. So the one out of the true sparkling glass i'm getting more of that savory brioche characteristic from the autolytic process of the sparkling Mm -hmm. whereas out of the coupe it's a little bit more fruit forward and a little bit more mineral that's that's why i said i there is a difference between Mm -hmm. the two and honestly i don't think one's better than the other they're just different but you're going to lose that out of the coupe Mm -hmm. pretty quick you're going to need to drink that pretty quick right uh like when i poured the wine in it's like, man, it fills up fast. Yeah. <laughs> it's like right at the top, but well, we're not swirling, so oh, it's exactly. okay. Yep. I'm you know? that over to you. Okay. And you don't trust yourself? No. Do, you, do you know the how a coupe was made no. or what no. it was designed after? No. Oh, yes, we do know that. The Marie Antoinette? Yep. Okay. Uh, but please tell it because actually, uh, who, uh, Joe, um, we did a little, my Uncle Joe, who I started texting. Like, I need to know when they were married, when Grandma and Grandpa Eric were, were married. When did they toast these with these glasses? I actually have a picture of them. I'll put it on Facebook. It'll be good um, pros- prosperity. Um, prosperity. Thank you. What is it? <laughs> Not prosperity. What is it? Pros- prosperity. Yeah, okay. Um, and he said, if you look in the back cabinet, these glasses are there, <laughs> which is kind of cool. That was from 1966. When they had their 50th wedding anniversary, that's how we knew it was 1916 wow. that these glasses came out. But do tell how these came to be and so, why the etching. I mean, the etching well, is a big deal. I don't exactly know the etching part of it. Besides, you know, straight from the beginning, mm-hmm. coupes are modeled after Marie Antoinette's breast. Gosh, so that's right. that is that is how they were designed and formed. Not this is a family podcast, Andrew. No, <laughs> well, twenty-one and up apparently with part, or with wine. Um, so yeah, apparently they're modeled after Marie Antoinette's breast. Um, so maybe not originally designed for pure function, but it's one of those things that 
you you produce and then you look at and you're like, oh, this is great for sparkling. And by it's the way, it's a nice legacy. Yeah, I, I, that's <laughs> like I say, generations have uh, these little um, uh, just markers, I guess, mm-hmm. and that is a marker, right. which good or bad, right or wrong, it is what it is, mm-hmm. and it's it's like you said, it's a it's a great thing to have for, that marks that generation, right? And we have this sitting on this table. By the way, can I just digress real quick? Two weeks in a row, uh, first for Wine Time Fridays. Last week, we did a, an episode on a pool table, essentially. I mean, it was a covered pool table. Today, we are on a riddling rack. I don't think you can see them. I'll take pictures. I have taken pictures. But they have these high-tech riddling racks mm-hmm. here, uh, not like what we have at the house. Yeah. <laughs> so... Riddling, like I said, is the settling process. Originally, yeah. it's done on riddling racks, which are wooden A-frames mm-hmm. that um, kind of have notches in them. So there's three positions, and you hand riddle. There is by three hand. positions on mm-hmm. the angle, right? Yep. So, so does that the, happen on this too? So this one, this cage, this is the future of sparkling wine for sure. Um, it's much easier. You sure. don't have to get carpal tunnel. No. You can program it exactly how you want with an mm-hmm. Excel file. And pretty much what you do is you forklift it into a little claw looking thing. So it's this little claw that wraps around a cage. Oh, that makes So this is a riddling cage. And then what that claw does is it rotates 360 degrees. It also has a little vibrator cuff on it and it tips up and down. So you can program it to turn when you want it and whatever interval you want it, you can have it vibrate whenever you want. And it goes from flat with the ground to 90 degrees with the neck tipping down. So you program it. However it seems you like want a faster to process too. Yep. It can be, it can be faster, okay. but faster is not always better. And you know, it. with wine, good, great things take time. But like um, with a riddling rack, you had a mark on the bottle of the bottle, uh, bottom of the bottle so that you could see, because you want all those, once right. you turn it, you may not remember. So those marks mm-hmm. have a have a mm-hmm. purpose, right? Exactly. You don't need that here. Exactly. Uh, and it makes exactly. sense to have the, the one machine and all these racks and you just put it in. Yep. The machine is the big cost, I would imagine. You know, yeah. It's relatively cheap for all really? things considered. Wow. Yeah. It's, it costs about the same, if not less, than a high quality tank. Wow. Yeah. So do these get riddled every day? No, so you, so you only riddle once. Oh, yep. So the in thing this is, system, because all all sparkling wine, you only riddle it once. Well, I, I because guess when you think about it, when you have a bottle, when you riddle it, it starts horizontal, and then you bring it vertical with the neck down. So all that yeast, when it's horizontal, is going to be spread out all across the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's great surface area for that flavor extraction, that brioche character. Oh. And you have very efficient uh, fermentation. Whereas when you go vertical, if it's still undergoing the fermentation, right. the yeast is going to start competing with each other because it's all caked up and like pent up. And it'll start releasing some reductive character and off oh, flavors, okay. which you don't want. No. And you're only having that much surface area to extract that Got flavor it. from. So when you're going through the tirage step, it's important to keep them side by side like this. Mm-hmm. But when you, you pretty much riddle right before you want to disgorge it. Just okay. to get as much flavor extraction as possible. So right before you're about to discord it, you riddle it, bring it from here, here. Takes anywhere from seven days to 14 days, pretty much depending on your program. 
depending. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, these cages, they're not going to be like this. They're going to be rotated fully. So wow. there's two forklift positions on them. And once it's done riddling, you just forklift it out, put and it on the ground, and it's totally riddled. And then say, you once discord. you finished all your other riddling of that batch, so say you need to do 10 cages, you do 10 cages once all 10 of them are done, then you do the disgorging process of all 10. Which, of but, course, the timing and the rhythm of that is fantastic because yeah. you're not having to just jump back and forth and everything. Exactly. But when you're doing the hand riddling, it's it's stretching that. So when you say you only riddle once, it's basically one uh complete seven turn process. yeah mm -hmm. but what they used to do is go a quarter turn every four to six or seven days and just keep moving the bottle up every day yeah and so, then all of a sudden you got that full rotation and then it's done so pretty much keeping it simple <clears throat> you go from horizontal to vertical with the neck facing down right but that's going to happen on a riddling rack and a riddling cage with the hand riddling you're doing twice a day, pretty much. You're going through, giving it a little corner turn. Every four or five days, yeah. you give it a notch up. Um, it just depends. And, you know, if you have 100,000 bottles yeah. and only one person doing it, that's going to be what's limiting how quickly it's done. Have you seen Have you seen videos of people yep. doing that? Yep, we exactly. just saw a show recently, and it was really good, but these white gloves, mm -hmm. do, 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 <laughs> he's so fast. And we, we started 100% hand riddle. So really? yep, we, we start, well, actually we, we started with one riddling rack, six, five gallon buckets mm -hmm. and some old apple bins. That's the, all the equipment that we had when starting our sparkling winery. I, so I'm with that, we, thing. we would, you know, we'd have that cage uh, or I mean that riddling rack and riddle down those bottles and then put dry ice and water in those five gallon buckets you can fit six of these bottles in, neck a, five gallon, oh. in a five gallon bucket it'd freeze the necks oh. and then we'd hand disgorge them and put a oh. crown cap on with gloves on no no really yeah you can't have a glove because when you disgorge it and open up that yeah it's gonna quick. have the it's gonna have that pressure in the bottle so what you want to do to keep the the bubbles from flowing out you put your thumb over it and with the glove you don't have that tight seal so you need to put your thumb over it and, and get and frostbite. Yeah, and then but we used a we used a crown cap when we started actually oh, that's because smart. the machine for a crown capper is about five hundred dollars, whereas a machine for a corking unit is about five hundred thousand dollars. Wow! So there's kind of a drastic difference in that. A little bit. We we always <laughs> say it takes two things to start a winery, and that's time and money. But we're broken and patient, so we have to figure out what we can do on our own hands and just really bootstrap and grind ourselves into the dirt and. So started with the riddling rack. We'd riddle down all those bottles, disgorge them. We'd get about 12 cases of wine from each. And then we'd put them in the back of our car, go to the local restaurants, try to sell them. Then we'd get enough money to get another riddling rack. So and so on. We ended up with 22 riddling racks. And then we started investing in these cages. Yeah. Um, because one of the things that's important for us is, you know, we're young. We're too young for an unsustainable program. And unfortunately, people kind of limit sustainability to the environment which, you know, environmental sustainability is very important, but it also goes to the community and the people that are helping you do your process. Mm -hmm. So making sure we have these sustainable programs in place for these, because we're not going to have someone riddle hundreds of thousands of bottles of wine. That's just unsustainable. You're never going to get someone who's really passionate right. and 
you know, about yeah. the process. And healthy and, enough to do And healthy that. enough. <laughs> Let's be it. honest. These uh, these riddling racks, the new age riddling racks, are, they're not passionate at all. No. But they don't have emotion in there whatsoever to screw anything up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and they're cheaper. Yeah. And they're much higher quality and more riddling, efficient and everything. More yeah. efficient yeah. and, most importantly, consistent. Because the world of wine, there's so many different expressions of wine in the world that's why we do it every yeah. wine the reason we love wine is because every single wine is made to be unique it's one of two commodities in the world that's grown to be different from the one next to it yeah um other one being coffee we all love yeah. coffee mm-hmm. um two people at this table love coffee three no. people oh he doesn't oh you don't two um, people at this table i make coffee every day for her oh okay I well love the smell of coffee <laughs> just don't drink it yeah so coffee and wine Commodities in the world that are grown to be I replace it with beer. And now the um, riddling racks can be used as home decor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as home decor. Uh, so, Andrew, we haven't, yeah, we haven't talked about, about this at all. And I and I still want to get, um, as they evolve, and we're glad you have the two glasses still, I would love to get your opinion on how they're evolving. But what is the grape in or grapes in this rosé sparkler? So, in the rosé, going back to being Washington specific, our ambition is to showcase the regions, the grapes, and their growers in Washington. So not taking that champagne ideals and doing it in Washington. We don't want to pigeonhole ourselves. We want to make those sparkling wines that really represent Washington. This one really represents that. It is a blend of equal parts Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, Merlot, and Pinot Gris. 20% each. 25% each. Or did you say four or five? Four. Oh. Well, yep. I was told there would be no math here. <laughs> uh, so, the, and Pinot Gris. Yep. Pinot wow. Gris. Wow. wow. Cabernet Sauvignon. Yep. Who knew? Who knew? Merlot. <laughs> Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Syrah, yeah. and Pinot Gris. Pinot Gris. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, it, and it's got such a lovely color. Mm-hmm. Real nice and light. Very Provence-esque color with that onion yeah, very skin, much, very kind much. of peach skin hue. Mm-hmm. Um. High acid, um, all those different grape varietals, they have their, their, their input to the wine. So, you know, the Cabernet comes in with that nice fruit forward, kind of crunchy red fruit on there. Little, the Merlot, a little weight to it. Exactly. Yeah. The Merlot, it gives the entire mid palate of the wine. The Syrah, it brings in that creaminess. And then the Pinot Gris, it brings in that backbone, the structure, and that waxy texture. I was going to say maybe even has. mellow out those other three. Too. Right. The Pinot Gris will come yep. in. It's like t- mellow out, boys. Yep. And the Pinot yeah. Gris kind of tones back that color to make sure it has that nice onion skin hue to it. It's yeah. it's yeah. It, it's absolutely stunning. I, I need to show that one more time since you have still yours in the glass. Um, see what happens when I'm not talking. I'm drinking. So. Well, there's plenty of bottles on the table, so yeah, you need to revisit Feel free. I know there are, man. Um, okay, so how about those two still in the different glasses? I'm, I'm curious because uh, now it's been in the uh, coupe glass for probably ten, eight, mm-hmm. eight minutes, ten minutes, something like that. So, I always kind of shoot myself in the foot in these situations because I'm a big swirler. <laughs> in sparkling wine, it's very difficult to taste with the carbonation in it. So I always swirl all the bubbles out of it uh-huh. so I can taste the truest expression of it. I get it. We, Just, we you know, swirl our sparklers too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with a coupe, you can't swirl. No. So, so unfortunately, you know, that being said, 
there is definitely differences between the two glasses. I mean, I'm definitely still getting more of that fruit forward characteristic out of the coupe. And then I'm getting more of that savory kind of characteristic out of the sparkling wine glass. Um, and, you know, the coupe is still definitely a little bit less carbonated. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, that went pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But anyway. So um, these are both method champenois, traditional method. But I'm not tasting the yeast that mm-hmm. I taste in some French wines that I have sparkling, that I don't really like. They're over-yeasted. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get rid of that? So the thing is. So these are great. <laughs> as, as I mentioned, that yeast characteristic comes from aging in the bottle. And it can be a blessing and a curse considering our situation of starting in 2020. We're very limited with time. But one of those things that we realized is we don't need to stick to those French ideals because you have to do a minimum of like three years in bottle for champagne for mm-hmm. non-vintage. And like that, you definitely have yeast character out of that. But like a majority of our, both of these wines are mm-hmm. eight months in mm-hmm. bottle on wow. the yeast. So-, so they're very fresh, very clean, and they're more focused on that fruit forward. But another thing is, like I said, we're very proactive versus reactive. Yeah. So one of those things that we know is not everybody loves that brioche savory characteristic. And if you look at wines around the world, a lot of the American drinkers are drinking more fruit forward wines, Cabernet, you know, the Chardonnay. Every every wine is more on that fruit forward side, yeah. whereas more European old world wines have more of that funk savory characteristic. Funk is a good word. We, we, we see that and we're like, okay, I mean. We personally would like to do a little bit more aging on our wines, but we're perfectly suited with our community to release these younger, fresher, more fruit forward sparkling. So a majority of our wines are on this more fruit forward side, but we do have some of those higher end wines that age a little bit longer. But one of our goals is to produce many different sparkling wines. Sure. As you go to a restaurant, you know, look at the red wine by the glass list. There's going to be eight different options you know the cabernets the merlots the syrahs the pinot noir two sparklers if you're lucky you're lucky you You know the whites you have like six or seven that's there too but you generally either don't have a sparkling or there's one sparkling Mm -hmm. but there's a genius in the 80s changed the world of food science um ultimately ended up creating ragu the pasta company because he realized there's not one perfect pasta sauce for everybody there's 32 different pasta sauces for 32 different palettes and he made triscuits yep exactly you know (laughs) everybody likes their different stuff it's subjective everybody likes what they like so Mm -hmm. our goal is to produce these different sparkling wines to showcase there's more than just a sparkling wine and it's not just champagne there's multiple different styles and multiple different flavors and you know we just love sparkling and that's so cool uh when we come back we take one last break when we come back uh, i would love to know how you ended up on sparkling i would love to know a little bit about this this area which is the walla walla incubator program here in prosser essentially and i also want to talk about one other thing that i just forgot about right this very second so when we come back Discover the warmth and enchantment of winter at Coeur Fresh, your exclusive private venue wine bar. Exciting events like Sip and Swap and Game Night are on the horizon, so stay updated by liking their Facebook page at facebook.com slash Fresh. 
This season, Fresh invites club members for exclusive appointments and extends a warm welcome to the public for advanced reservations of 12 or more. Transform your special occasions into unforgettable memories with Fresh, be it a birthday bash, corporate team building, or any unique event. Personalized wine tastings curated just for you and your loved ones add that extra touch. For inquiries and reservations, reach out to Marla at 208-676-8933 via call or text. Here's to toasting unforgettable moments at Fresh. Welcome back to Wine Time Fridays. Shelly, Phil, and Andrew from Tiridis. Uh, Andrew Giro, like Al Giro, only Andrew Giro. Uh, I'm pretty sure my Uncle Joe is no longer listening. But if you are, Joe, thank you for hanging in there with us uh, because uh, he was a wealth of information when it came up to these. And this is the Tiridus. glasses. This is the Tiridus uh, Ryder family. Single vineyard sparkling Pinot Blanc. I will show you that just for kicks. And now I'm running out of real estate. Man, eight wine, Shelly. Look at us go. So this wine that I'm, we're pouring real quick is a real fun wine for us. Um, this is It's part of our single vineyard series, which are our truest expressions of Washington terroir from really unique or cool sites that we're particularly fascinated on. Um, and this one is 100% Pinot Blanc from Ryder Family Vineyard, which is just north of Yakima in Sela, Washington. Um, really extreme, cool climate site. And we had a pretty serendipitous meeting with the Ryder family. And um, we just Those kind of fell best, in love. Yeah, exactly. The best are the serendipitous ones. Yeah. And we just kind of fell in love with some of their wines and um, ended up tasting their Pinot Blanc. And we'd always wanted to do a Pinot Blanc for sparkling because it ripens really slow. It really maintains acid. So it seems perfect for sparkling. And we ended up finally, after a little bit of time, convincing them to sell us some grapes so we could make a single vineyard out of it. And, and, all of, and, a, and it's vintage. Yep. And it's vintage data. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said, it's our most terroir driven. So our single vineyard series is our interpretation and translation of that vineyard site from vine to bottle. So really relinquishing our control and input into the wine to get the truest expression of the site possible. And Pinot Blanc is a very fresh varietal and we wanted to produce this in a very fresh style. So when you try it, high acid, very bright, um, very vibrant, and it has a great like lime zest, marzipan, mm. and Bartlett pear kind of characteristic to it. That's quite the combination. Yeah, and great waxy texture on it. It's fermented in 100% concrete egg nice. to really preserve that minerality and freshness. And literally almost like a couple days after you finish fermentation, put it into bottle, preserving all those characteristics. So it's very, very fresh. And we should this, one, this one. Yeah, it's, a, it's very fun and Know, very, very uh, limited wine. Yum. Very scary. Yeah. Hashtag yum. This is so fun. This is absolutely so fun. Concrete egg. Those will last forever. Almost. Yep. Yeah. Total nightmare. I really uh, to be totally <laughs> candid on the podcast. Or? Yeah, I I would say. There's not many things in this world that I hate, but I hate concrete eggs. <laughs> but they do have an impact on wine that you can't really mimic. So Ooh. that being said, would you buy them okay once? 
Yeah, you buy them once. And yep. why do you hate them? Um, I've spent too much time inside of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yep, and I've shaved off my knuckles a couple times hitting the concrete, and, you know, it's it's almost impossible to fully clean them. And yeah. we're all, Gross. like I said, no. proactive <laughs> people. We're also kind of control freaks in the winery. Well, you kind of and almost have to be. Yeah, yeah you, you have to You kind of have to be. Yeah. And so that being said, you're kind of like yeah, a little bit uncomfortable with how it is. But, you know, it's 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 relatively clean. So you just kind of have to trust it. And um, But, yeah. You know, in Burgundy, they have open tanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lord knows what gets in them. Oh, absolutely. Okay. That's so, called terroir. <laughs> that's what they call terroir okay but here yeah. we've got um you know come on did you really say that I did. that's gross uh going back to the going back to the <laughs> yeah the charles shaw <laughs> Chuck, Chuck. Ah. anyway uh you are going to have an element of this you can only be so clean but this is still you can't alcohol. Really bleach anything the, yeah, this, that will taste yeah you can't you can. bleach anything. Yeah, no. But this is still alcohol, and alcohol is going to take well, care not, of the, the thing about wine, it's a very stable product. Yeah. Right? You don't really have to be too concerned mm-hmm. with wine. And it's not you know, a lot of bacteria. It doesn't have a lot. It's a very harsh environment for a lot of things. Sure. And so that being said, you know, still kind of concerned with it, but at the same time. You just have to relinquish a little bit of control. And yeah. quite frankly, that's what wine is. It's a combination of art, yeah. nature, and good, science. Good, so, yeah, you know, you. If, if you take one of those components away from it, you're going to lose a lot of synergy. Yeah. Um, so it's important to consider all those things when approaching wine. And mm-hmm. that's what we do. Unfortunately, some of those make us a little uncomfortable. Unfortunately for us, not anybody <laughs> else. You know, it just raises my blood pressure a little bit. But, um, you so, know, it's a great, so makes you a great wine. that you started in 2020 sort of left school at that time? Mm-hmm. Did yep. you go back to school once you were allowed to, or did you study from home? Or So it was guys... all from home. Yep, wow. we all it went to online school. So from in-person to online. Um, it's So we, we ended up finishing and graduating school, all three of us, uh, Matthew Dutney, Gabriel Crowell, and myself. Um, the three of us are graduates of Washington State University's Viticulture and Enology program. Um, so we studied the science of grape growing and the science of winemaking for college. Um, and, you know, the pan- when the pandemic came around, it kind of curtailed our plans. And as I mentioned earlier, it's, it kind of made us joke around and we ended up Joking starting too much. Yeah, starting this. Um, so we do have degrees in viticulture and enology. And Washington State University is a great school. And it not is. only is it a great school with a with a great wine program, but it's also in the middle of wine country so you know it's loose is just i mean it's farming and so we went to wsu tri-cities so we went to a satellite campus so the the program is actually located in tri-cities gotcha um and the three of us actually moved from literally all the way around the world to go here for wsu so there's there's some clout and pull that wsu has like Mm -hmm. i personally moved from michigan which is two thousand miles away and i'm the closest to Washington and State. I'm not Tri-Cities. a big fan of anything Michigan right now because they beat the Huskies. <laughs> but. Uh, and where did your other two friends come from? So Matthew Dutney came from Long Island, New York. Wow. And he's the second closest. The third, Gabriel Kroll, he moved here from Cyprus 
in the Mediterranean. Oh and and you three <laughs> did not know each other until you right the it was everything about Tiridus from the bubbles to us is the stars aligning. So the three of us all serendipitously, no connection to the wine industry. Yeah. It was just some little seed that was planted in us that loved food or wine that got us interested and ultimately ended up having a stumble upon the program and applying and committing. And when we got here, coincidentally had three apartments right next to each other and oh, wow. ended up becoming friends and hanging out all throughout school, ended up realizing that we all love sparkling wine and that's, um, that's playing video games together. When they were golfing. in a Yeah, they were yeah. a bubble, literally and figuratively. You know, and, and the thing that, uh, so before we went live on this, I told, I think it was Gabriel, that uh, you guys have made your name known very quickly. I mean, 2020, we just started 2024. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking three vintages that you've had. Uh and you're making your name very quickly. And everybody says those kids have got it going on. <laughs> and it's like, well, everybody's kids to shell and I. Uh, but as we've had this conversation, I am not, I, I don't mince words. I am blown away by your knowledge. This is not anything that you're still, I, I know you're still learning, but you're not looking anything up. This is all boom, boom, boom. You have you have just nailed this stuff, and these are beautiful representations of Washington sparkling wine, and and I don't just say that. This is fantastic <laughs> stuff. Uh, in the Coeur d'Alene area, you can for sure get this at Lola Wine Lounge, but we will be making a push that more distributors are bringing this in, and so we can see some tiredness on the shore, store shelves as well, because this is good stuff. Let's talk quickly. Well, I don't want to leave that yet because you had a roommate that we're going to visit with in a yes. couple, three weeks. Uh, and he's a funky roommate in a sense. <laughs> yeah. If, if only by name. <laughs> Definitely by name only. He's a clean freak. <laughs> J- sure. Oh, really? In the best way. Jared Funk from Sabaya. I, I never talk bad about anybody, especially my best friends. But. Yeah. My best friends, I definitely do give a little bit of crap. As you should. As I should. As you should. And he is a very great person and his, him and his family make incredible wine. Yeah. And we're going to have them on um, in a couple, three weeks. I think we're going to have them on the first week of Washington Wine Month in March. Yeah. So. Have um, you met Ethan by any chance? Ethan, Ethan is Lewis. over at Sabaya. Yes, 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 yes. He comes yes. from Cornelia. Yes, absolutely. I've, I've hung out with him a couple of times, actually. Yeah. Another really great soul. Started in wine, or well, serendipitously ended up in wine and wine yes, sales, yes, and then very, ended very up true. going into wine production at Sabaya. Yeah, really he was great. Invited to do this. Yes. Uh, look like we have a barrel fermented Blanc de Blanc R three. Yep. And so, as you mentioned, R three. This is a kind of a cool segue into a major component of our program. R three is short for rendition number three. Okay. So as I mentioned, non-vintage, multi-vintage, and vintage wines, right? Right. Mm -hmm. With multi-vintage comes variation, right? And for us to keep track of that variation, we assign rendition numbers to it. So every time we blend a new multi-vintage wine, we associate a rendition number with it. So the higher the number, the younger and newer it is, whereas the older the number, 
the more complex and Makes aged sense. per se. So it's it's just a little technical component that we like to associate that helps you keep track as well as us keep track. Of our Who's lines. the one who is responsible for the Excel sheets? <laughs> Excel sheets? Yeah. We have we probably the most that. complicated Excel sheets. And that's, you have we, them on Google Drive? Uh, OneDrive. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yep. Microsoft. Okay. Yep. And so as we kind of joked around earlier about business plan on the napkin, um, we actually have like, 150 page business oh plan goodness. document. So how, and, like, so this is really itself. interesting. That's a very, very thick document. Mm -hmm. Okay. 150 pages is very, it's, it's really in depth. Mm -hmm. One could argue too in depth, right? Yeah. I think that's just kind of the way that we go into things though. Mm -hmm. But uh, you have to pivot. I mean, you were throwing a curveball in 2020 and you were, you're going to have opportunities to pivot all the time. <laughs> how often do you revisit your uh, business plan? This is business one-on-one now. This is good. Just about every month. Okay, really? Yeah. So um, you will revisit that as a group, yeah. tweak some things. Mm -hmm. Yep. Rendition. Rendition. Yep. Pretty much Rendition exactly. Rendition. I mean, there you go. One of the best things is we do have this business plan, but we're not corporate. We're literally just three 20, low, young 20-year-old dudes who are super ambitious and just, we can pivot on a dime. We don't need to go through any judicial process except calling no, each other up and being like, Hey, hey, we're facing this. this. Let's uh, figure this out. And then it's like, it might stir things up a little bit, but we're always down to hear each other out. And I think I'm definitely, I'm going to be blunt in saying it. I'm the most critical out of the three of us. So I'd probably be the quickest to like, say like, no, that's not going to be happening. But, you know, both of them, we all know each other so well. We know how to like build each other up and, you know, like, hey, hear me out. I know you're hesitant, but hear me out. And I think it's one of the strongest things that we have going for us, besides the fact that there's three of us and we can be in three places at once. Yeah. But right. We right. can, but we have this, you know, friendship and ability that we're very agile and can pivot at any moment that we need to. Any around sparkling wine. And this is basically a startup. I mean, essentially, it's a startup. It is a startup. We haven't talked about the alcohol percentages on any of your. That's a good thing to bring up, you know? Our sparkling wines, our highest, are, yes, right around, well, most of ours are between 11.5 to 12.5. Wow. This one in our glass is the highest alcohol wine that we produce. The one we just poured. 13.6. Gotcha. Um, this is the uh, revision. Three. This is the barrel fermented Blanc de Blanc. This is a fun wine. Um, this wine, you know, I'm going to say it, but, you know, everything we do is with the <laughs> utmost sincerity and purpose. Um, that being said, this wine originally started as a joke and is now our highest rated, most popular wine that we oh, produce. Yeah. This so wine started as a joke. joke. Yeah, this wine started as a joke because, I mean, just read the name. Barrel fermented Blanc de Blanc, right? Mm -hmm. Barrel sparkling wine. What's going on there? Yeah. So, so is it like a... Everyone in a barrel. So it's 100% Chardonnay, 65% brand new French oak. On Ooh. the base wine ferment, so okay. literally the grapes come in from the vineyard. You're pressed. That in this. Oh yeah, it's not shy. No, um, it's fantastic. Does anybody do that? No. Well, this so is really good. Did it? People did it. I believe Chandon also does it, but very very small. Um, our we get a lot of inspiration from Chandon. Mm -hmm. Their wine style very crisp, very clean. You we like love shades, Chandon. Don't you? I've never been, but really? um, I've just had it's some of their wine and we very much admire yeah, it. Don't if they, if they hear this, good reach out to mm -hmm. us. Um, we'd love to it talk. Used to have but, a great restaurant. Yeah. yeah. The person who did the the 
the head chef of the Shandon restaurant is actually owns a restaurant here in Prosser. Uh, um, so you should tap that out. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. I yep. mean, literally wine o'clock, I, go to wine o'clock in Prosser. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so this wine, as I mentioned, it started as a joke because the three of us, we don't have a wine background. We don't have right. fathers or grandfather or like grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a freshness that to us. that. Yeah. There's a freshness yeah. in it it really forces us to experiment. And sure. we read that old champagne houses used to do barrel ferments on some of their premium cubes. Okay. So mm-hmm. Boulanger, Krug, they both got very famous for doing barrel ferments. And we read that and we are like, huh, shit. Like we should take note. But Seriously. Like, let's, let's try it. But, you know. The finish on this is remarkable. Yeah. It's still going on way back mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It's really good. And when we read barrel ferments, we were, we were like, Let's try it. But instead of being real reserved, let's go all out because we can always tone it back. Um, mm-hmm. But we wanted to really express our personality and approach to winemaking as, you know, we don't want to have that old guard approach where this is what we do. And if you don't like it, move on. Like we're very fresh. We're trying many, to experiment. How many and, different wines do you offer? Uh, you're going to touch somebody unless yeah. they're like, I just don't do sparkling wines. Exactly. Okay. You're, we're not for you. Yeah. And exactly. that's okay. Yeah. And so just, testing those styles that really drive our, our wines and um, trying to do a barrel ferment and really just poking the hell out of it. And How trying many to make the barrels did you have to buy? <laughs> too many. Too How many. many is too many? One? Oh, well, yeah, one is too many. For sure. <laughs> but, um, 15, Will you do bucks. it again? Oh, yeah, we do it. Well, so when we first did it, we were like, all right, at least we're going to do it. And if people don't like it, we're going to check the, bo- check the box and we don't have to do it again. Yeah. But we released it and people were like, Holy shit, this is, this is yeah. awesome. Um, I've never had anything like that. And when, after joking around, we took it a little bit more seriously and we're like, all right, how are we going to make this good? What people hate about oaky Chardonnay is the butter characteristic sure. and the viscosity yeah. of it. So mm-hmm. let's make just the purest juxtaposition of oak spice and fruit profile. Super bright, super fresh oak spice fruit. And that's what this wine is. So, mm-hmm. um, how, which, how long is our, our nine months nine in months barrel? In barrel okay. Yep. But, and then pretty much straight to straight to bottle. Straight to um, and wow. yeah, just focusing on the oak characteristic, bringing in that nice, like bay leaf, cedar, ginger characteristic uh, with that Chardonnay lending a nice, like canned peach lemon curd. This I'm going to say, I, and I love this lineup. But this one, this one speaks to me. It really does. Did Hans Cornell do oak aging? Not Corbell, but Cornell. His daughter is now producing. I don't know exactly. I I would say people might not have it on their label, but I think a lot of sparkling producers are now doing it. But the cooperage that we bought our barrels from is like, you're the largest buyer of barrels nice. for sparkling really? wine in the United wow. States. So we are wow. in the United States, you know, we're tiny. Yeah. But yeah. like Shandon, <laughs> we buy more barrels than Shandon. We wow. buy more barrels wow. than Gruet, more barrels than Monk. So it's Gruet. like we, we don't even have like that larger production, but we're serious about making our barrel fermented Blanc Blanc. No, that, <laughs> so I, I, we, we I, buy I, quite a few nice. barrels. Really nice. So loving this. Uh, we have two more to get through. Yep, absolutely. Um, do this quickly. I well. I know that. that's why I said it. Gosh. Uh, 
So I would recommend not taking either of these next two in the wine or in the glass that the barrel fermented Blanc de Blanc was in because okay. that wine is boisterous. But this one I am going to revisit. Yes, yes. So boy, absolutely. Really good. And, this and is then your so Blanc de Blanc. pass this over. Oop. Thank you. And starting. So this is a uh, oh, um, this is a rendition two. Mm-hmm. Yep. A demi so these last two that we're trying, you know, dessert for last, a little cherry on top. Um, it's mm-hmm. our demi-sec series, which demi-sec means semi-sweet. And we never really thought we were going to do semi-sweet wines, but people asked for it and we did it. Um, so the way you get sweetness and sparkling wine is through dosage. So after the riddling and disgorging, when you disgorge, the bottle is open. And what you can do is add a dosage there. So you suck a little bit of wine up out of the bottle, and then you add the dosage, which is sugar dissolved in wine, and it brings up the sweetness, and then you top it up and throw a cork in it. Is there a um, formula for how big a dosage you add? Is yes, it just it the is, disgorging well, part? Nope. So it is very, very complex. Yeah. So when you disgorge, you actively have to suck wine out of the bottle to make room and then you add a very very specific amount of dosage which is a very very specific concentration of sugar and then once you add that dosage you actually add some of that wine that you sucked out back into the bottle to get it to that final level because you don't want any variation in sugar concentration Mm -hmm. like every single one of our demi-secs our demi-sec blanc blanc and our demi-sec rosé which is that next bottle that i right. passed over to you oh that yep, oh that's that this one. one. Oh, yep. i'm sorry and okay. that one is both of them are 30 grams per liter of sugar which you know sounds like a lot but at the same time 30 grams per liter is not that, that much and then uh so we talk about residual sugar but you're talking in a different language well, that's not- <laughs> yeah so how how do those um, so think about 30 grams per liter as less than Coca-Cola. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. So there's less sugar than Coke and, um, like Vouve Clicquot. Everybody thinks when they think of sparkling, they think of champagne. Vouve Clicquot being one of the favorite, yeah. like yeah. most, uh, you know, most accessible champagnes. Their demi-sec is right about 45 grams per liter. Okay. Um, but it's really important for us that we achieve our house style. As you've noticed, very fruit forward, very, very high acid, yep. crisp, vibrant. It's just because our favorite wines in the world reflect people who make them. And we feel like that really reflects us as a producer. Uh, and even our sweeter wines still reflects that style of very vibrant, fresh, not viscously sweet in any way. Um, so we have to tone it down a little bit. So it's semi-sweet where if you like sweet wine, it's not too dry or if you like dry wine, it's not too sweet. It's just yeah. right in the middle. And you know, a tasting room, especially on a cold day like today, probably the worst place in the world that you can try this wine. Really. You got to be sitting outside on your back patio, baking in an Adirondack chair in the sunshine. And okay. this bottle will go way quicker than I have to, at. I have to uh, respectfully disagree on one aspect of what you okay. said. The aspect of sitting in the sun, enjoying this in an Adirondack chair, making sounds delicious mm-hmm. and a hundred percent on board with them mm-hmm. it's okay to drink this in the cold it's <laughs> freaking five degrees outside as we're recording this yeah okay um this is fine mm-hmm. it's perfect by the way in the winter in our house we have a walkout freezer and we just stick the the wines that we're going to have in the snow uh-huh. on the deck 
And then we bring, it's like, we see the lineup. What do you want? Bring uh-huh. it in. Okay. Love that. Yeah. And so actually we had a listener a couple of years ago who said, man, you guys must be rich. You have a, a walk-in fridge that you keep your wife's. Yeah. It's called the garage. <laughs> <laughs> and we live in a cold area in the winter. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, you have a question. So the grapes. The grapes. So in the left glass is our Demisec Blanc Blanc, which is 99% Chardonnay and 1% Pinot Gris. And then the one in the right glass is equal parts Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, Merlot, and Chardonnay. Yeah. 25%. 25%. Yeah, I love that. There's the Chardonnay that's in the barrel Different Chardonnay. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. The thing is, in the winery, we have, like, we have... 14 different sparkling wines. That's yeah. how many sparkling wines we make. You are we don't, committed. Yeah, we're committed, but yeah. we don't do 14 different ferments, right? We're doing about 40 different ferments. And all those wow. are little spice jars in the cabinet that we can sprinkle and add in any one of our wines that we want. We, we have, you know, some are destined for a single program, but we make these other ones that we know can juxtapose and build yeah. on those components okay. to create those styles that we're really looking to achieve. So you're using a Chardonnay on this instead of a Pinot Gris, mm-hmm. and then you're adding sugar. So why do you choose the Chardonnay is like to balance it, maybe too much sugar with if you use Pinot Gris, or is it just because? So we <laughs> in our, in our rosés, um, the fourth rendition of the rosé that you tried earlier, um, that one has Pinot Gris because we've gotten better at making Pinot Gris. Um, originally it, it's, it's a real tricky grape to make into sparkling. Like, have you ever had a sparkling Pinot Gris before? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it Pinot Gris is just a grape that grows great in Washington kind of and we really want to showcase it as a Washington sparkling varietal. Um, maybe the poster child even, if I dare to say. Um, but earlier before we got really good at making the Pinot Gris, we had to use Chardonnay to provide that backbone in our rosé. So the Chardonnay lent that backbone structure and acidity that those red varietals lacked that brought it into this holistic, um, full, complete sparkling wine. But we've gotten better with the Pinot Gris, so we'd prefer to incorporate that instead. Uh, I, I, I love this. Um, these are fantastic. We do want to wrap up, but I have two more questions to ask. And one is, how do you decide, first of all, as a... You know your lane. You are committed to the sparklers of Washington State, and you are grabbing the torch and leading the way, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but there are three of you. Mm-hmm. What happens? Like, how are your your ha- palettes? I'm sure are similar, but they have to be still different. How do you work through that? We're That's, definitely still. We have a little bit of difference, but you have to remember in college when we were developing our palettes. We would be drinking champagne and eating fried chicken together. So we drank the same bottles that define our palates. Okay. Our palates yeah. are calibrated by the same bottles here. We that being said, we do have preferences, but we all know what battles we want to fight and which ones we don't. Good and also so, which cells. Yep, and which you cells got, you and have to do. Like yeah. it's important. Tiridus is there's another reason why our names are not on the label, right? Mm-hmm. It's because it's not us, it's Washington sparkling wine. So we have this idea that's not necessarily what we prefer. Like you were saying earlier, you like this fruit form. If we had more time, we would like to do maybe more savory. 
but that's not necessarily what people want. So mm -hmm. we, we understand we're relinquishing a little bit of our expression because it's important that we're not only considering traditional method sparkling wine, Washington State, the grapes and their growers and their unique climate that we have here that we're very lucky to have, mm -hmm. but also expressing us as the winemakers. So all three of those are very important characteristics that we need to consider. And our palate is one third of one third, you know? So those other things, Washington, then the grapes and the growers and the traditional method, that's way more important than our palate and our considerations. So just relinquishing our ego mm -hmm. and yeah. making sure we're producing oh, the best. That's the way it is with important. most businesses. Yeah, you have to yeah. do that. Relinquish mm -hmm. your ego for the better yep. of the whole, yep. right? Because it's not about you. Right. So we haven't asked this for in a while, Shelly, but I feel this is really important. It's the fried chicken and the champagne. In a sense, what I need to know what that champagne is that you guys would, would go with, but I need to know what your gateway wine is. What was the first wine you ever had that said, I'm kind of thinking this is really this. fun? Um, not oh, on the show notes, you didn't have to prepare. Yeah, I didn't have any preparation for this one. <laughs> God. I think there's there's a couple wines. So I would say the most defining wines that I've ever had are not sparkling. Interesting. Yeah. And those actively define our sparkling wines um, mm. that we have. Well because um, one of those wines that I've had is that I had that really defined my palate Shut is down. a, well, I mean, they're great. Um, I guess to plug the sparkling producers that really helped define our style is Jans in Tasmania, Shandon in California, and Jimenez in Champagne. Great producers, very clean, very fruit forward, fresh styles. Awesome producers that define directly influence our sparkling that are sparkling. Right. Um, then one wine that really defined my approach to texture in wine is I had a 1990 SGM um, Pinot Gris from Domaine Oustertag in Alsace, France. Really? And that is probably the craziest, best wine I've ever had in my life. When did you have that? Um, like a couple what? years ago. Okay, so it was a, it was a 97 you had... Oh, maybe it was, in it was, 2017 or something. No, well, I mean, I would have been, I would have been 18 years old in 2017, yeah, so I wasn't right. legal. That, so I, I didn't. Yeah, you never drank any no. alcohol in eight, no. as, when you were 18, um, did you? No, oh, not at all. Dog um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I had, I had that at about it was 30 years old when oh, I had it, wow. um, and it was just the most texture rich wine that I've ever had in my life. No, great. Um, 30 years old. Yep, yep. So, and it was SGN, which is uh, Selection Grand Mobile. It was um, in 1997? 1990. Oh, 1990. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, I, I heard 97 just for yeah. my own. Okay. That was before I was born. <laughs> so, But in that in, in and of itself mm -hmm. is pretty cool. Yeah, so having one of those, that was, I mean, it was so fresh, so vibrant still. 30 years old. Yep, 30 years old. And it had the most incredible waxy texture. I'd take a sip, and I wouldn't even have to take a sip for literally a half hour. Oh. I could feel the texture on the wine. The best. Um, and now, since I've had that wine, I've spent way too much money trying to collect as many as possible from that producer. <laughs> well, um, and people really put down Pinot Gris. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And, uh, and we do. We kind of do. And because I, we yeah. haven't had super decent Pinot Gris. Well, what yeah. I said was, even last week, when we were really pitching crap on Pinot Gris, is there are good Pinot Gris out there. We mm -hmm. have had good mm -hmm. Pinot Gris. They're just 
hard to find. Right. And unfortunately, it's one of those grapes that has a poor reputation. Yeah. It's a one-dimensional crisp porch pounder that your grandma drinks, you know? Yeah, That's what I, Pinot Gris is, unfortunately. But we have had the fortunate luck of trying Pinot Gris coming from Alsace <laughs> and Eastern Europe that have incredible complexity and depth and layers. And it grows great in our state. So we want to draw inspiration from that and no, then produce really it in a sparkling. Right. I love that. I um, absolutely love that. Um, I'm going to start wrapping this up, Shelly, because mm -hmm. uh, this has been fantastic. Man, back-to-back -back weeks of unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. education. Yeah. Uh, some wines we enjoyed this week. Thank God it's another short list. <laughs> Lindenhurst Spotswood uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, High Note Malbec, and Elson Cellar Syrah. Uh, thank you, Jody. Doing great. Some things coming up next week, International Ferment Day on the second Happy, excuse me, on the first, but on the second, happy birthday to South African wine. We're going to keep saying that. Um, down at Bottle Joy, they've got a whole lot of South African wine that's yeah. not only fantastic, it's great price points. Mm -hmm. We love Bottle Joy, by the way. Yeah. How can you not? Yeah. Yeah. And they, again, Kurt and Joy had a lot of great things to say about you, too. But uh, I, I trust Joy, not so much Kurt, but uh, <laughs> Kurt, that's for you. Uh, on the 5th, Rosé Day in Australia and New Zealand. On the 16th, International Syrah Day. On the 18th, Global Drink Wine Day, as we say over and over, it's every day. Uh, we will have Jared Funk with Savaya Andrews, former roommate, and Sarah Fowler with Peju, uh, as well as Open That Bottle Night that's coming up in our 200th episode. Um, we, we've been asking this. Any idea of what we should... We did Cristal for our 100th episode. Any... Um, little suggestion you want to throw out for our Tiridus two rosé. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well, first of all, first of all, um, no, that barrel ferment, uh, I would like to revisit. That would be a great one. But what, what would you suggest for our, um, yeah. I mean, sparkling wine. If you're going for champagne, Pierre Jimenez, Special Club, their Grand Terroir de Chardonnay incredible wine um if you're looking for something out of the box from a new world region jans again shameless plug for our jans j a tasmania tasmania tasmanian wine is incredible um they have a vintage brute and a vintage rosé that's whew, just blow your mind um we might need to look at that because i don't yeah. think we've ever had a tasmanian wine yep jans there's so many regions in the world that are making great wine uruguay mm -hmm. South Africa. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it, we get pigeonholed. Wrap it, up. Wrap it up. We get pigeonholed. We, we, as Shelly said, we try to educate on this uh, podcast. We really urge our listeners to try something new. By the way, barrel fermented sparkler mm -hmm. that uh, you're not uh, the originator of this concept, mm -hmm. but that's kind of fallen off the side and you're grabbing that and, and going with it. And this is fantastic. Thank you. Um, the price points of these, we will put in the show notes. Uh, anywhere between $26 and 41 for the most expensive. Wow. That's amazing. Love that. And good job for that as well. Um, thank you to our sponsors today, Revora and of course, Coraline Fresh with a little bit of knowledge I should we really should change that with a lot of knowledge. <laughs> Wine becomes a lot less overwhelming. Back to back. 
uh, episodes of just unbelievable uh, education. Thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, this has been fantastic. Uh, when you're in anywhere in the Tri-Cities, come and visit Tirtis, uh, and we'll see you next week with, I don't even know who we have next week because uh, that's changed a little bit, but uh, we'll see you next week. And there we go. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. If you're looking for the best kept secret for delicious wines and views, you owe it to yourself to check out Revora. Revora is an Idaho estate winery producing some of the best estate wines Idaho has to offer. The Revora Tasting Room provides a perfect setting for enjoying their wines while soaking in the surrounding natural beauty of their estate vineyard. And Revora has just opened a tasting room in Coeur d'Alene with live music most every Friday night. Visit revora.com for more information or simply call 208-276-3245 in Julieta or their new tasting room in Coeur d'Alene at 208-667-1019. This winter season, Fresh invites club members for exclusive appointments and extends a warm welcome to the public for advanced reservations of 12 or more. Transform your special occasions into unforgettable memories with Fresh, be it a birthday bash, corporate team building, or any unique event. Personalized wine tastings curated just for you and your loved ones add that extra touch. For inquiries and reservations, reach out to Marla at 208-676-8933 via call or text. Here's to toasting unforgettable moments at Fresh. Thank you for spending part of your day to wind down with Shelly and Phil. Remember, you can listen to any episode of the Wine Time Fridays podcast by visiting winetimefridays.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us on our Wine Time Fridays Facebook page, Instagram, YouTube channel, or on Twitter, which is at Vintage Tweets for daily conversation. Until next week, here's our toast to you. To health, wealth, abundance, gratitude, peace on earth, and of course, romance.